0: before you leave the auditorium, before you leave the auditorium, I need your help. So, um, so kids, before your parents send you off, um, how many of you know what a lion sounds like? I'm giving you permission to give me the loudest lion roar that we've ever heard. So, I need, I need all the Bobbies and Davids, and I need the Harrison and Graysons and Fosters as well. Even though you're not going to Bible time, I need, I need our young loud lungs to give me a lion's roar on the count of three. One, two, three. Roar. I heard one. (laughs) I know. I I, I told your parents. It's okay. Your parents aren't going to get on to you. Can I get a big roar, Hazel Kate? Can I get a big roar? (laughs) Yes. All right. Thank you. You guys are dismissed to Bible time. We're talking about running toward the roar today with our adults. And I needed them to hear what a roar sounds like um, because we're a little timid about being loud sometimes as adults. Um, I appreciate our Bible timers. I appreciate those who prepared the time for them today um parents will get your kids back as soon as possible and all that roaring energy we'll get it out of there um while they're upstairs so then um you have a peaceful lunch let's say um today we're talking about responding and and, and we've been in um, a number of interesting places in the last few weeks um not just here on sunday mornings but in our wednesday class talking about listening and making room um we've been given a lot of opportunity to respond some really intentional ways, personal ways, collective ways as a congregation of ways that we can, um, we can choose to be, be intentional about, um, the decisions that we're making. Um, Walk for Water was one of those. In fact, I got a live update, a text from Steve. We added $40 more more, $8,243 now. Um, so the, the donations are still open. I feel like we're doing a telephone. Hey, anybody online want to donate? Just comment in the section below, right? I feel like we're in, we're in that place now, right? Um, it's exciting to see when a church gathers and responds. The Walk for Water was a really good opportunity to get together and see that, to know we're doing that together. Um, and it would have been difficult to do alone. Um, the, the Haiti earthquake was a great um, source of conversation amongst um, Sean and, and Widlord and some of us over the weekend because we have that common way in which we've seen responding done. Um, we're intentionally thinking about responding as a church because it is part of our spiritual duty. It's part of the, the, the job that we have to call ourselves Christians because Jesus responded for us. Um, if you have a chance this evening, we have a small group meeting at 5 o'clock. Um, there are small group guides in the back. Some really good um, questions there that can kind of continue to lead that discussion with you and your families, or in the small group setting. Um, those will continue this summer with the sermon series that we continue to do, and the uh, the listen and make or the take back your life sermon series is ends in May. So um, it was sort of this idea or this effort post COVID to um, take back our identity as the church because we felt like, or we maybe individually or collectively we were feeling like some of um, some of our normal lives have been taken away from us Uh, maybe by the rules and regulations or just by the disease itself of COVID-19 or just of the number of things that we've sort of had to deal with during this time and we're getting close we're getting close to a lot of our normal life coming back together again but in this process this year we've learned maybe we going back to normal doesn't make sense there are a number of habits and good things we picked up during this um, pandemic time And so as we approach taking our life back, I want us to be thoughtful, be mindful about what we're doing, and what we're going to leave behind, and what we're going to carry with us. Um, It's interesting, when we run toward the roar, um, lions are are scary, for the most part. Um, Children like the lion, the sound of the lion, if they want to, if they really want to participate in that loud roar, they could really shock you. Um, But the, the lion can be scary, but for us, it should be something that gives us Confidence. By the end of our sermon tonight, today, we're going to gather from David that, uh, that, that, that God's presence in our life should give us confidence. But church, the reason why it's so difficult at times to run towards something that we may be afraid of is because Satan often disguises himself as the lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about he's that roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He has no rightful ownership to that title. In fact, God, through Jesus Christ and the Lion of Judah, gives us a lion that we can be confident in, and we should be more okay with our, our roar, church. But we're shy about speaking up or, or shouting out. We're shy about being confident in who God sees us. And, I, and this morning, I want us to th- think of a few things that we're going to talk about as we think about running toward the war, the roar. Keep your weapon close. That's one thing we're going to talk about. Keeping your weapon close. Um, talking to God is an important part, and um, and calling for backup. Keep your weapon close. Talk to God and call for backup. The lion roar is to communicate their location. It's also a show of strength and it can intimidate others. At 114 decibels, the lion roar could be heard up to five miles away. Now, I don't believe we gave a five-mile five roar um, with, our, with our little ones and I don't know if I just sat here and, and had you roar until we got to 114 decibels. If that would even happen, right? That's pretty powerful. Five miles away, the lion's roar can be heard. It's to I mean, encourage, communicate strength, let people know where the location of the lion is, and, and to intimidate its enemies. Um, we talked about pride this morning in our Bible class. We talked, we'll talk about pride as, um, as a temptation or as a sin that we can kind of fall into. But I also want us to think about the, the power in the lion's pride, that collective um, uh, fellowship found in, um, in knowing that we have power together, we're stronger together. We've, we've went through that as a church, right? And in, and in our lives, and in, 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 in our walk as a congregation, sometimes we lose the power of our voice because we're tempted, because we struggle, because um, we forget about the Word of God. We're, we're not involved in prayer as often as we should be, and um, we're not calling for backup from the fellowship of Christian believers. We try to do too much on our own, and we get, um, we get lost, and we get downtrodden, and we don't know what to do. Um, this morning, we're going to run toward the roar, church. We're going to gain some confidence, and we're going to get excited about how we're going to respond through that. Um, in Luke chapter 4, we're going to talk about the temptation of Christ. Um, we're, going to, we're going to start there this morning, so if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, um, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus, full of the Spirit, but still 40 days of temptation. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's kind of an obvious statement. I don't know if we would need that reminder, but if you choose to fast for 40 days, I'm going to ask, are you hungry? I bet you're going to say yeah. You can imagine what that would be like. And then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The devil's—he's crafty. he's crafty. He's been crafty from the beginning, and in Genesis he would, um, he would kind of give questions to man to kind of make them doubt the will of God or the authority of God. And he says, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. How does Jesus answer? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus, full of the Spirit, is also full of the Word. And his response He didn't have to say, this is what I feel, or this is how I think, or this is the power that I hold. He says, it is written. He goes to the Word. Even Christ himself, the most powerful human, the most perfect human to ever live, uses the Word as his go-to, as his sword of the Spirit, as his weapon. So this imposter, this second-hand lion, we'll call him, Satan, comes comes to Jesus and tries to tempt him at his lowest 40 days without food, isolated from his pride, from his fellowship of believers. And Satan says, surely this is the time where I'm going to be able to end all this. And Jesus says, it is written. Keep your weapon close. If we're going to get a good example of of quoting scripture, let's go to Christ, right? Keep your weapon close. Speak the word, church, like a roaring lion. Like We follow the the real one, not an imposter. Not someone breathing false teaching and, and things that aren't true into our lives. But we're confident in the truth that's found in the Word of God. And not the convenient truth. Not all the easy things, the good things, the loving things that everyone agrees with. But the things that some in our society disagree with. Because it's important to stay firm on truth. Because the imposter, Satan... It's going to try to convince us through our society and through a number of different ways that what we believe is true is no longer true. Culture can change the truth of God. Society can change the truth of God. That's not the case. Truth is truth, church. The author is the author, and our power is found in the word of God. Keep your weapon close. The devil led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. It is written, Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You see the second-hand here, right? Jesus is saying, it's written. There's nothing you can do to convince me that the truth is not true. And Satan says, well, how about I quote a little scripture? Right? You think you're going to walk through your life, church, and someone's not going to twist the word of God to their own ideas or their own um, truths or what they want? You think our culture itself, one that's one nation under God, isn't going to kind of twist the truth? To, to, to promote an agenda of things that, um, that are financially more beneficial, that are more beneficial for power, maybe more ben- beneficial physically for your stomach. See, we see Satan tempting physically through food. We see um, Satan here tempting um, psychologically through pride, um, with, with social influence of power. We see Satan using all the things that we are tempted with daily. You're tempted with those things, and we haven't been fasting for 40 days, and we're hungry right now. It's eleven seventeen, and some of you are like, I'm ready for lunch. Where, when, When is poor Vallarta going to get my chips on the table, right? Be careful, church. The second-hand line is going to try to convince you the Scripture is not what God wants it to be. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I like this adjustment here. It's a little more forceful. It's not, it is written, and you can go find it for yourself, or it is written, and you should already know this. It has been said by the real lion. The voice, the roar, has been, has been put out. And within five miles, everyone knows the location of the truth. At 114 decibels, or whatever your imagery you want it to be, it has been said by the one in charge. Where truth is. Do not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil realized in the voice of God that the power of God was found. In the word of God, that the power of God is found. At this time, not through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a man, God living as a man, but still waiting to be tempted waiting to be tested, waiting for his ministry to begin so he can then die on a cross and rise again. Jesus still has work to do. God did all the work before Jesus came. Jesus has to fulfill that work, but God's power is still a part of that process. It has been said, and Satan leaves. If you choose to run from things that scare you, you may be moving closer toward danger. Remember, the lion can intimidate you, and the prowling lion in First Peter... His job is to devour you. So not only will the lion make a noise so the other lions know where where he is and where they can be safe and where they can find fellowship and security and power and all those things, but the lion in the opportune time can make a noise so loud that it paralyzes you. And then in your response, the way that you run, the lion will take advantage of you. If you run from the pack. The lion doesn't have to eat all the animals. The lion only has to get the weakest. The one that, that strays from the pack. Church, church fellowship is important. And when Satan comes and tempts you, and he roars at you, and, he, and it paralyzes you, you've got to respond. You either respond in the word, you respond with God's people, or you're left on your own. And you are powerless against Satan without the power of God. As strong as you think you are, as long as you've been to church, you may be moving toward danger if you're not intentional about what your decision-making process is. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is with his disciples. This is another very vulnerable time for Christ. He's in Gethsemane. He's face, facing his imminent death. And he knows. He's been trying to, to give these followers of him an idea of what's really going to happen, Right? And Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said, with, said to them, sit here while I go there and pray. He has his, his guys with him. He said, sit here while I go and pray. Sit here while I tell God about how I feel. Sit here while I gain strength from my Father. What do you think Jesus was doing in the wilderness during those 40 days? Sitting in silence? No, he was praying to God. He was in communication and relationship with God. That's why when Satan came, Jesus was still powerful enough, even though physically he was empty. His tank was empty. Socially, he was isolated. He still had the power of God. So Jesus, before his death, he tells God about it. Then he took Peter and the sons of Zebedee along with him, and they began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This isn't I'm physically hungry that I feel like I'm going to die. I am emotionally sorrowful. I, my, my spirit, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus is called for backup. He doesn't need these, these followers of his to really do anything but give him emotional support. He doesn't need their strength. He doesn't need their sword to combat the the guards when they come to get him. In fact, even in in the rebellion and saying, no, you're not taking Jesus, he fixes that, right? Here he's calling for backup, and this backup is emotional support. He wants people who are going to be there with him to know what he's going through and be there alongside him. Going a little further, he fell on his face again on the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet as not I will, but as you will. Troubling times for Christ. Then he returned to his disciples. He returns for a backup, for emotional support. And what does he find? Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They were sleeping. They were asleep. Oh, come on, it's late. They're probably emotionally drained. They're confused. What's really going on here? Give them a break, Jesus. I worry that we use our own um, tired feelings, our own sorrow that we have over our own circumstances, and we fall asleep to what we need to be doing in the church. And sometimes we even fall asleep to just doing what we normally do, and we're missing Christ's presence, the support that we can give as Christians. And we say, you know, I need a nap. I've worked hard. Maybe you don't understand, but I have two or three jobs. I've got kids at the house. There are things in my, in my family outside of the home that, man, make, make life a little complicated. If you knew what I was dealing with, well, Jesus knows. God should already know because we should already be in communication with him through prayer, Right? The word should already give you some strategies on how to manage those things collectively with your backup, the fellowship of the church. So we really have no excuse to say, woe is me, because the most sorrowful situation Jesus has ever been in, he's still doing, modeling the behavior that we should be doing. So he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back, and he found him sleeping again. Now, I don't want to co- continue to belabor a point here. It's obvious that the apostles are weak. They're struggling with focus. They're dealing with being tired. And Jesus is in a vulnerable place. And church, it's important for us to see ourselves in this role. I don't want to be tough on you. I don't think that's, that, that's necessarily good every Sunday. But I do want us to be mindful Of when we fall asleep spiritually. And who is there to wake you up? Because at a certain point, we talked about this um, in in our Wednesday class. We talked about the role of the apostles carrying out the work of God. Last week, we talked about the miraculous abilities that he had given them. You had one man whose faith, um, uh, Jesus um, heals someone through his faith. And then the other man goes to the apostles and asks them for, for assistance, and they don't know what to do, and Jesus rebukes them. At what point are you going to get it? And he's still dealing with that with them. Church, we're dealing with the same stuff. Jesus expects certain things from us. We have a certain upbringing and a certain power through the voice of God, through the word of God, through the relationship we have with God. But we fall asleep to it. We have to be careful and to know we have a job to do. We have a role that we should be participating in so he returned to his disciples and he said to them are you still sleeping and resting look the hour has come the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners and does he leave them there and said because you've fallen asleep I don't need you anymore I'm going to go find somebody else he shows them mercy here rise and let's go here comes my betrayer I still need you I'm not done with you and even though you don't get it yet you're still my backup. You're still my family. You're still my support system. Come along. We're going to figure this out. You know, uh, 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 maybe in our world someone would say a wiser person would have just left those that were asleep behind and, and went and found someone who's a little more prepared or awake. This isn't the case. He does not give up. He does not give up on them. Following God's voice doesn't mean life is going to be easy, church. Following God's voice doesn't mean life is going to be easy. If you look through that scripture in our small group guide, there's a reference to Moses. And, um, in Exodus chapter 17, Moses, Aaron, and Hur had a responsibility to keep uh, Moses' arms risen. Because in, 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 in the battle, if, if Moses' arms fell, what happens? The Amalekites were going to win. And so as long as Moses' arms were in the air, God's power was going to make it, make it so. But can one man keep their arms up for an entire day? I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how many laps with walk for water and a bucket on your back you think you can make. You're going to get tired. And you're going to need backup. And so we see in that instance that that Moses needed Aaron and Hur to help him. Paul, when he was Saul, and he's in this life-changing experience of, of becoming who God wants him to be. In chapter 9 of Acts, his life is protected by the church because the Jews want to kill him. And then he, he, Paul decides to, to start his journey of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Is it that easy for who, who Saul was to become who Paul needs to be? He needs some backup. So Barnabas, enter Barnabas in the equation. Barnabas convinces the other apostles, this guy, it's okay. You can trust him. You can trust Barnabas, you can trust Paul. It takes, it takes the trust of others. And someone like Barnabas, who's an encourager to to teach Paul how to take that next step. How to be an encourager to the people he meets. If you read Paul's writings. He's an encourager in those writings. He's also truthful in those writings. And he's sort of, I call it the sandwich approach. He, he gives you something you're doing right, lets you know what you need to work on, and gives you some hope and encouragement in the end. That may not have been something naturally he was good at. In fact, he was real good at knowing truth. And it was so misguided that he was killing Christians. And through, through the help of Barnabas, people were able to trust him. And also through the help of Barnabas and the others, Paul was able to get his voice, the voice of the lion. Following God's voice doesn't mean life is going to be easy. Following God's voice sometimes means that the the world's voice is going to be something you're going to have to reject. The voice of your friends, the voice of your family, the voice of people who say they love you. The cost of being a disciple means that you may have to leave your father and mother. You may have to leave people that you care about. You may have to give up your own identity to sound and look more like Christ. Following God's voice doesn't mean life is going to be easy. And then David, in in Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold and my life. Whom shall I become afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will, will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Thank you, Jason, for the scripture reading this morning. We think about the confidence that we gain through the voice of the lion. Responding in times of fear requires trust in God's voice. Responding in times of fear requires trust in God's voice. So, church, this morning, how do you know that the voice of God is the truth that you're seeking? You stay in the Word. You, you continue in relationship and communication with God through prayer. And you invest in church fellowship. Now, we've been talking about sacrificial living. In Romans chapter 12, today in our Wednesday class, listen and make room. We've been talking about sacrificial living and giving up of ourselves so our community can benefit. We've been looking into the example of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and us being cross and, and being a living sacrifice poured out like a drink offering we talked about on Wednesday. The three things that we've outlined today reading, studying, praying, church fellowship church, that's not sacrificial living. Those are basic foundations of faith. Those are things that the littlest roars that left us at the beginning of this sermon time already practice or already learning. That under the age of 10, from three year old to second grade, you should already be establishing. Those are the things in Christian living that are foundations that help you stay firm in your faith. But sacrificial living, it requires transformation, service, humility, giving up our own pride, being hungry so others can be fed. Some of the temptations that Jesus Christ was faced with, it's intentionally allowing those things to benefit others and not indulging in them them myself. It's being in church fellowship and disagreeing and bearing with one another, as Scripture says. And choosing to show unity through love instead of proving our point that we're right on, a, on any given topic. Responding in times of fear requires trust in God's voice. We have exciting things waiting for us. As we approach the invitation, we think about why choose to become a Christian. I can read the Bible myself, I can pray to God myself. Why is church fellowship so important? You know, oftentimes when I look around at churches, I see people who don't live what they say. We heard that before. Church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, you're right. It's full of hypocrites and sinners and broken people who need other broken people to walk through life together. Jesus needed a few men in the garden with him because he was weak. And they weren't perfect but he needed their backup. We're not perfect, and we don't really provide anything in the grand scheme of things to what God has already done or what Jesus did for us. Unless we choose to live more like the lion. Unless we choose to let our life and our voice speak of the truth of God in the word of God and be in relationship with God through prayer and be in fellowship with one another. And not just those who are here today, but the ones that we are inviting in. We need to be open in love to things that allow us to express our brokenness and deal with that together. In the white books on um, um, page 3, there's a song called Let God Arise. It says, Hear the holy roar of God resound. Watch the waters part before us now. Come and see what he has done for us. Tell <clears throat> Tell the world of his great love, our God is a God who saves. His enemies will run for shore. The church will stand, she will endure. He holds the keys of life, our Lord. Death has no sting, no final word. Our God is a God who saves. And the invitation reminds us that salvation awaits in eternity in heaven. Because as much as Satan throws a fit, he's just a kitten compared to the sound of the roaring lion of Judah. Our God is a God who has already conquered death. Our God is a God who has already put that second-hand lion in his place. And one day, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and we'll hear trumpets, and then it'll be a, t- a chance for the dead to rise. That shout will be so loud that the, those dead underground will come alive. And then his location will be made known. And the pride will reestablish, And so we will be with the Lord. From Matthew to Revelation, from Genesis to the end, of the, end of, end of the end of the book, church, we see a story that reminds us of the power of our God. And we hold that power within us. Remember, we're created in His image. And as a church and the fellowship, we get to live out that example to a number of people. We get to give hope through the Word of God, through the example of Christ, through our service and action and humility, those things are a little harder than just showing up, studying the Bible and praying. And at times, when your faith is is being tested, those things are hard too. I don't want to minimize the struggle of faith, the discipline that it takes to read, study, pray, and be, be at church. But at some point, those things have to be a given in your life. You no longer struggle with, am I going to read the Bible today? Do not struggle with, am I going to pray to God today? Don't struggle if there's a church activity, should I go or not? Those are decisions that should be made in your life. And then from that point on, then we're part of something. From that point on, we have a hope of greater things, of power and confidence and transformation that give us a voice that we don't know we have. Because when we sit here today and you ask for a roar, we get... Roar. Or well, I have to intentionally ask one brave little girl to roar for us. Church, come on. Can I hear your roar this morning? On the count of three, can I hear a roar? One, two, three. Roar. roar. Thank you. Thank you. And the invitation this morning is to respond. And, and it's, it's to respond to the gospel. It's to become a Christian. It's to confess and to get um, that back up from the church to, to walk through some of those situations. But it is for us to leave this building and let the community hear a roar of a church that believes something great is in store for this place. For your homes, for your schools, for our community, for the world around us, the church and the unchurched, Lord, Lord has a, a, God has a plan for us, and I pray that we're, we're confident and that um, responsibility we have. If we have a need this morning, please come as together we stand and sing.